Welcome to episode three of the Backstage Pass. Youngin, welcome, mate. Thank you, mate. How are you going? Yeah, good, man. It's uh, People are actually watching us again. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, mate. Yeah, uh, been a good couple of weeks thus far. Um, we, you know, kicked off last our last episode with Sean Diveny and rolling into episode three this week with, um, I, I think, hands down, one of the most talented uh, musicians I've come across and... Um, Extra special to to us being a, a Penrith boy, uh, Marcus Catanzaro. How are you, pal? Hey, dudes, you blushing? <laughs> You're blushing a little bit, <laughs> mate. Uh, mate, it's uh, Penrith got up last night, and uh, yeah, it might have been a couple of whiskeys too much. You're, you're, it's not... <laughs> uh, uh, you're just feeling the Penrith vibe right now. You're feeling proud. Yeah. Western Sydney's finest, mate. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. Now, I'll ask you both before we get started. Um, one of you is a Chelsea fan and one of you is a Man United fan. And they both lost overnight. So there's, like, tears or are we just early on and, you know? Well, I think it's all perspective. You know, you can't win every game. Um, I think it's bad for morale. So I think that it's really important that we just drop a couple here and there, you know? Yeah, right. And make it look like we're a human team. Perfect Chelsea. Yeah, I'm the that Chelsea, from a Chelsea supporter. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got nothing. I like. I'm just absolutely gutted with the loss to Aston Villa, mate. To be honest. Well, Fernandez, uh, Fernandez is should have. He still can't find the ball, mate. So yeah, it's still skyrocketing into orbit. I know it was. It was dreadful. I've got nothing. Now, Marcus, I've got nothing. Where do we catch you in this wonderful COVID time? Where are you today, mate? I'm in Florida. I just arrived to Florida this morning um, from Tennessee last night. Yeah, right. So we'll get we'll get stuck into, I guess, where you're at and what tour you're on. But today's show is brought to you by Mates. Choose a provider you can trust like a mate. Visit letsbemates.com.au. And we can't thank um, all our sponsors, but especially Mate Enough. They give us the studio when we're allowed back in from COVID. So, uh, and Young, and when we can get back in. Um, I guess it's COVID time, so we'll deal with what we got, but we can't yep. wait to get back in studio. Yep, absolutely, mate. Now, Marcus, take us to where you were when Italy won the Euros and it <laughs> finally it's coming to Rome. Actually, I got quite a funny story because I hadn't been home in a little while. Um, and so my wife and I, I was finally home. We went to Disneyland, um, which is somewhere we go quite often. We live not far away from there. And I was actually sitting in a restaurant at Disneyland watching the final with one AirPod in. Um, <laughs> and my wife would like kind of like clutch my arm when I was getting too loud. And then eventually I, I looked, because obviously in America, you know, no one's overly, overly into football and soccer. Uh, and I looked across the room and there's one other guy like anxiously staring at his phone. And I went over and I was like, you know, I did the whole like point. Are you watching? Are you? And he was like, yeah. And so we sat together and I watched the Euros with a random Italian dude at Disneyland. It was quite oh, funny. That's mad. What a story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good. good win. Good win as well, mate. Great win. We really yeah. are just talking about sport so far. Ten minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were giving it to each other off air just before about, about all this. But, mate, um, the reason Young and I started this show was obviously the music industry has been affected by COVID, not just here in Australia, but worldwide. And obviously that's your full-time job. So can you give us a little bit of insight into how bad COVID has affected not only yourself, but 
the music industry mm. in general? Um, yeah, I mean, it's affected everybody. I mean, everyone in the world in different ways, obviously. Um, it's affected our industry hugely because we, you know, we we rely on people and shows. Like back in the day, if you went 40 years back, um, bands and artists made money off records and releasing music. But then with the kind of onslaught of all these digital music platforms that um, that flipped into touring and merchandise being the main kind of money makers. So that's a huge blow to anyone who's in a band or any artist that I work for or that's touring. Um, and then obviously sub, 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 subsequently it's flowing down you know, to crew members, to merch companies, to touring companies, to bus companies, to yeah. caterers, to security, yeah. to venues. Like it, the, the flow on effect is astronomical. And um, right now, like, especially in Australia, like all my colleagues in the industry are trying to make that really known. The government seems to be missing the point. You know, it, if you ask or if you read, you know, any of the press statements, it, it, they make it sound like there's, you know, 100 people that aren't doing their hobby and touring Australia, it's like, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people mm. that have been out of work for nearly two years. Like there is no working from home and there is no, you know, side hustle. It's like, this is what we do for a living. Mm. So it's a huge blow. Um, personally, I've been actually quite lucky. You know, I've, I've jumped between Australia and the US throughout COVID um, and the lockdowns and I had studio work going on for a little bit of it. So I've actually not been affected to the degree that most of my colleagues have been, thankfully. And we're, well. and, and we're noticing that in Australia. And obviously, I guess there's there's only sport on here. Yeah, so sports allowed in a big arena. Sport, you know, they can, they're allowed to do whatever they want, but we still can't get a festival on or we still can't get anything like that, you know. And you, I guess you saw the AFL Grand Final last night in WA and... You know, it looked really good again. Live music back in a stadium, and in a full stadium, I guess. So, like, it can happen, yeah? yeah? It definitely can happen. There's a huge double-edged sword, you know, that's striking its way through Australia. You know, like, this double standard of, of sporting events happening. There are conferences that have happened. There is all sorts of things that have gone ahead with the same capacities that music has. Um, so I don't really understand why Australian music and the australian government can't get it together i don't i can't i don't have an answer for you i really don't yeah and but, it's a hard answer young you know we've, you know, we've, we've been trying to find it <laughs> it just it doesn't make it doesn't make sense it just doesn't make sense in my mind where you've got sporting events with you know everyone like bloody chanting and screaming and it's it's everywhere and but you can't have a gig with yeah you know, and it's like limited capacity, if anything, at best, only outdoors, which is coming up maybe soon. But sporting events is fully outdoors with hundreds of, you know, what was last night at the AFL grand final? Maybe 80,000. 70,000. 70, like, and you're right, Marcus. Like, yeah. you, it, there's so many of us that have, it's, it's their only income. And I don't even think there's, oh, I sort of don't know if there's government support, like maybe the 750 a week or something, but... The, the, you know, the Australian government's been um, significantly better than most governments around the world for the arts. Um, you know, I'm, it's not a, a complete dissing of the government. They were really, um, really quick to mobilise some form of payments. Um, but it's not really, 
industry specific and i think that's the quarrel that everybody has with it it's small business specific which most mm. musicians music companies music businesses we fall into those categories so there is there is definitely benefits there that um, we have access to which is amazing but it's not specific to the music industry whatsoever mm. and like you know uh, you guys probably saw like a you know a thing on instagram it's like when there are bushfires musicians come together and we do relief concerts when there are floods when there is huge like you know events throughout history it's generally music that brings people together to fundraise and now it's our industry it's mm. completely in disarray you know we're talking huge financial trouble there's already been venues shut down there's companies not touring anymore there are bands or crew members that won't come back there's just no mention of it it's insane yeah, and i think that's, that's uh, to me i think that's i think that's the issue the the non-mentioning it of it all and you're absolutely right you know live aid all those sort of things mm. music people get behind yeah but now the effects it's had on the music industry seems to be just brushed under the carpet a little bit. And I guess what we're trying to do, and, and look, we are just a little potty, but like we're trying to just get people on our show to be able to talk about it and just get it out there, you know? It's a talking point, yeah? Hmm. Yeah, you don't have to be a big podcast. Like, you know, it's as simple as like, I think reminding people that um, you know, like right now you can go online and you could buy a Cambridge t-shirt, you know? and that's money that that Scott's band don't make right now. Like yeah. they can't sell them mm. at gigs and, and they can't go touring. And so, you know, if you have a favorite band, just buy a record, buy a t-shirt. Like it's literally the only way. Playing them on Spotify, like if you really get down to the numbers, it's something like 0 0.0015 cents per play. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you're not feeding anyone's families, you know? Yeah. So, that's um, it's not it's just not enough unfortunately like you really have to go do something right now otherwise your favorite band doesn't exist when they, when COVID's over yeah and young and yep. you know about that yeah it's um it's it's hard you know especially like for my band marcus like you know what we're all about um we've been slogging it out for years drinking <laughs> yes <laughs> i don't know what it's all about <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you're right there i'm not going to sugarcoat that but um you know like <clears throat> we finally we got to a good point last year we you know we we wrote a good song and we got noticed by um our label teamwork and finally you know get signed like, uh, that's probably the you know the the probably the biggest thing that a band drives for um to get recognized um but yeah, like you know, we get to that point, and then COVID hit, and and now we can't do any shows. It's literally like back to square one. Yeah, you know, we we write a song, re release it. Okay, great. Can't play it. Just hope people like it. You know, and like we do it for the love of, yeah. of course. Like we we love writing, but um, you know, it's it's playing, it's it's performing. You know, it's seeing people happy. Like it's it's what drives us to continue doing what we do like i mean marcus yeah. you've you've made a life out of it man you know it's it's yeah, yeah. And, and i think it, like you touched on a good point is like you know you can release a, a record and hope people like it like but i think if, if you're not involved in the music industry you don't realize like how intertwined all that is like you know mm. you release a record and you have dates to support that record so you go out on tour people hear the, that song live and maybe someone that didn't like the record or hadn't heard the record goes and buys the record or maybe someone who 
randomly has never even heard the band and was at a gig, buys a t-shirt and then buys a record or they hear the record and they go to a show or whatever. It's all this layering of how we all kind of make money and how we exist. Mm. Um, and honestly, without one piece of that, it doesn't exist. Like it's a really yeah. convoluted situation. And it's also the fact, I know, Scott, you're talking about that, how you couldn't support your your song and, and the record and whatever else, but it's the three other bands that might be on that show as well, yeah? You also get their, their followers, like they've bought a ticket to watch their band, hang around, see you, you know, then they might yep. jump on the back of that or yours, like your yep. people who follow you then jump on the back of those other bands as well, which That's isn't right. happening. No, it's not. It's um, it's all about supporting one another, you know, I... Uh, Sean actually touched uh, from Short Stack last week was saying how he he preferred to be the supporting band to the other the the bigger bands you know um, just by oh his reasoning was that he he liked to just get it get over done with it yeah, get on the drink and watch the the big guys do their thing but um, I mean I, like when we play we we have like yeah. you know younger younger bands coming through that aren't you know, recognize or anything like that. But, you you know, you see how happy they are to be there playing with us. And likewise for me when, you know, we supported Newfound Glory or Mayday Parade and, and stuff like that, I'm I'm there just going, oh, my God, this is the best. But I think everyone helps everyone with, with that, you know. So, I mean, I was playing with Newfound. They're their side of stage watching me do my thing, you know. It's like it's a humbling feeling, but it's 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 just that, like like you said before, Marcus, where it's the coming together of music, you know, and it it's it's what we do. Um, and having it yep. taken away, and it's 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 really it's really hard. It, it really is. It's um, it sucks. It does. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, well, it's brutal. Hard. And and you know, like if you had a, some kind of timeline or some kind of plan, then you know, sure, you'd be like, okay, cool, this is what we're doing. You know, when COVID first started, a lot of my colleagues were like, well, and, and myself included, I, I did probably the first six months of the US lockdown with absolutely nothing. Um, and kind of because I was like, you know what, I, this is, it ended up being the longest I've been in one city since I was about 15. So for me, it was like, well, this wow. is kind of cool. Like I spent so much time with my partner and, you know, I had so much time to just relax and, you know, treat on holiday. But then you get to like month seven, month eight, month nine, and you're like, holy shit, this is, this is actually happening. And as mm. I said, I'm lucky enough that I, I had things going on and, and I could pivot into them. But so many people are still, you know, still in that first six month stage, 19 months later. Yeah, so we'll we'll get on to how how COVID has now sort of filtered out in the US and and how you're back touring. But take us back to Western Sydney, Marcus, and how it all started from you for you, and how how music how you sort of got into music, and now you're obviously worldwide. Um, yeah, well, obviously we all grew up in in Penrith, um, which just happens to be. Well, when we grew up, like just a little hub for music, um, you know, pre-internet, it, it tended to um, create these little pockets um, in, you know, in the world, obviously, but in Australia, especially, you know, you had Manly was a strong one and then you had Castle Hill and you had Penrith and, you know, we all had our little haunts. Um, and my older brother and sister, Joey and Michelle, both played in bands and were involved in music. Um, so pretty much from, you know, from a, the age of 11 or 12, I would kind of go play football on the weekend and then go watch my brother play a gig with my mum, you know. 
Um, so it always just seemed logical to me that that's what I would do. Um, and then I grew up, I went to, to primary school with, with Dan Sipper, who I ended up playing in a band with, um, who you guys know, and um, some guys we all went to high school with. We all just happened to kind of meet and start a band when we were 13. And it's the beginning of uh, what it feels like a hell of a story. <laughs> well, yeah. it is a hell of a story. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, that first band, All In Favour, I thoroughly, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. You, I think you guys played at like, ground, was it Grounded? Um, with like yep. $1 short. Uh, Sun Clotto. Sun Clotto. Fucking <laughs> hell, man. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, all all just behind the uh, the old Museum of Fire there. So <laughs> that's right. Unreal, unreal. Um, nah, you yeah. boys, you boys yeah, are great. We, well, we were just lucky, you know, to grow up in um in that area when music just you know happened to be kind of taking. Um, I started a music venue. You know, I'd always kind of run shows at community centers and stuff from a very young age, and you know, I'd make posters on clip art and book bands like Scots and stuff like that. And um, then I started a proper music venue. And um, through that, I kind of had met a bunch of booking agents and managers and stuff like that it ended up being the largest all ages venue in Australia. So we were, you know, made more money when I was 15 than I probably did until <laughs> I was 30. <laughs> you know, I just, I just had wads, wads of cash, you know, Parkway Drive would come play the venue and I'd walk away with a backpack of cash, like, you know know what the hell i was doing um yeah and so i guess that's where it started um i toured my brother's band a whole bunch and you know i just i always just wanted to be on tour and, and make this my life um so i worked for a bunch of australian bands one short and irrelevant and something with numbers and took any job they would give me and toured for free for quite a while um you know if they made a bit of money on merch or something at the end of the tour they'd give me 500 bucks you know mm. um it's a school of hard knocks though. You know, it's funny because last night I was just talking to a colleague of mine who's who's significantly older. He's probably in his 60s. Um, he was kind of doing that, you know, that thing old people do when they're like, ah, oh, kids these days don't, you know, <laughs> talking about how a lot of young people my age who work in touring just don't have the work ethic um, that, you know, they did in the 70s. And he was like, but funnily enough, like you strike me as more someone who's kind of taught, who's my age, you know? And I was like, well, I think because I grew up in punk music, it's like, man, if you get a meal, you should be stoked because we didn't, yeah. we slept yeah. on floors yeah. and, you know, not, not to sound like an old guy, but <laughs> we did. We, you know, we've all done those Tarago tours and we drove, you know, we would play a show Sunday afternoon in Adelaide and then get in the car and hottail at home to be at work on Monday morning, you know? Yeah. Mm through the night. We used to do like the old Tarago driving down the highway and you wouldn't want to stop the vans. So we'd change drivers while the van was still rolling. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so you didn't lose time. Yeah. Like like wild yeah. shit like that, you know, that yeah. like we did all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Right. And it's it, I guess it makes you who you are too today, you know, like you can appreciate what you've got now and and you can sort of see ahead as well. Yeah, well, he's right because, you know, I've worked with on these like huge arena tours. I've worked with people my age who um, say if you work for an audio company or a video company, there's a really good chance you could just get a job with one of those companies and kind of be thrusted into that level of touring yeah. as opposed to rising up the ranks. And like they can't believe the stories of like what it's like to tour in shitty venues and bands. Like they just can't comprehend it. They've always had buses and trucks and hotel rooms and private jets yeah, well. or whatever, you know. Mm. 
And Crazy. we did actually. And that's the funnest part. We, we, we did see you. Were you watching some Champions League football the other day in a touring bus? I was. Oh, that's yeah. all I do. So it's from the Tarago to a touring bus. Yeah. Is that where we're at now? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I'll still complain, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've probably spent more of my adult life living in a bus than a, than a house, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. And we'll, 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 we'll touch on that, um, I guess, later on. Um, so give us, obviously, growing up Western Sydney, all those, what we just spoke about, you know, you, you did all the hard work and, and whatever else. And then you, you obviously got to where you got to with hard work and whatever else. Does How does touring affect you now? Like, it's obviously, you just said you spent most of your adult life in a bus. Does that, is it hard work sometimes? As much as it's enjoyable, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's super brutal it depends you know like you could be on the cushiest tour like you know the Fleetwood Mac tour was super comfortable absolute pinnacle of of touring as far as budgets and luxury and you know how you were treated as a person but then you could be on a smaller tour like and we you know we all go between artists so uh, you know you could be at a different stage of an artist's journey uh where it is brutal you're working you know 22 hour days and then you're overnighting on a plane and you're getting off like you know even on this this tour i'm on now we're on a bus tour like we finish work at 2 a.m 3 a.m we get on the bus we go to sleep on the bus and then we wake up outside outside a venue at 10 a.m and we go to work you know and you do three in a row so you know you, you guys like, working a regular job like you might be doing six to six is a bad day you know we're doing 14 hour days and then not going home yeah. literally mm. no showers yeah. you know it's pretty brutal it's well wow. yeah. it's, it's actually like hard to comprehend you know i i'm i'm now a a husband and a, a father of three um marcus you're married uh to a beautiful wife you know how, how does how do, how do you go um just going away like so long and, and doing it hard and you know obviously Key to a happy marriage <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm lucky that um shawnee my wife is um she's equally as busy as i am um and yep. and crushing her career um and she's just really realistic about it you know because there are pros to it like i do think it is healthy to not be in each other's face you know like think about when you have a shitty day at work you come home and there's only one place for that like that yeah. vibe of that anger to go and that's probably directed at your family but whether you like it or not you know that's mm. just how humans work whereas like i don't have that like i call her and i convince and, and we discuss my day and stuff but then like it's just me you know and all that kind of stuff gets left at work so then when i am home i'm home for six weeks or 12 weeks or however long it is and i'm just home there is no you know stresses mm. of work or whatever so i cook and i clean and i you know, I do way more than most partners would do. So yeah. there's pros and cons. Luckily, she uh, she's okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've done you've done well, mate. You you've done well there. Yeah, very very good on, thankful. Good, good on you, mate. That's awesome. So, Thanks. mate, can you take us to I to working on X Factor and and how all that come about? And obviously, there were some big tours off the back of that with the winners and whatever else. Yeah. Um, it's you know it's so funny because you could ask any question it pretty much always makes its way back to like penrith and music and running a venue um but yes the x factor basically all those tv shows used to always use this one core group of session musicians um mm. that were from the conservatorium like they were the shit they are the shit they're the most incredible players you know um 
but when the X Factor launched, they launched the first year with those guys and they felt that it was um, not identifiable enough. It was too much like every other TV show and they wanted to put a band on stage and they wanted to make it, you know, feel like a rock concert. So the music director, um, Andrew Furs, who <clears throat> grew up in a similar kind of type of Penrith scenario, but in Victoria, um, he was like, well, let me find a bunch of indie musicians, you know, who would be absolutely thrilled to be on stage and know how to perform and know how to, you know, make this feel like a real show. Like they don't know any better. They just, they only know mm. live music. Yeah. So we put a kind of crew of us together, myself and Dave Jenkins and Mike Jeffrey and Lachlan West and a bunch of like people who tour in really huge um, Australian bands now. Um, yeah. And we became the X Factor house band. And it was, were you working with, well, when you, uh, you had the Echo Creative, were you, was that established at the time when X Factor, uh, approached you? No, I'd actually never, my business partner, Dave, I met on day one of X Factor. Um, he was ah. from the central coast music scene, kind of right. like the, uh, I guess the, the generation after the Wonderland shorts and after the falls and stuff. So we randomly had never crossed paths. Um, yeah, well. and I guess him from a, he's more of a creative where I guess I'm a bit more business minded. We yep. just saw a massive gap in the market where Sony music didn't really know what to do with these artists. You know, there were a record label that all of a sudden had this, this kid or, you know, this, this performer who'd basically never toured but mm. there was all this touring on the table. So Dave and I created a creative company to, we kind of came in as music directors and as you know, Scott, and we, we put together bands and tours and, you know, I guess in some way legitimized what they were trying to do. Yeah. And well, that, um, there you go, Scott. Oh, no, I was just going to touch on, uh, you mentioned, um, Dave Jenkins, uh, session drummer, um, goes, Bloody, really, really talented uh, musician. Um, yeah. We uh, had, as Cambridge, we, we actually worked with Marcus and um, Dave Jenkins and Reese Maston um, back in, oh, yeah. I think it was 20, 2014. Um, and yeah, I got, I got a good insight to see how Dave and, and yourself, Marcus, worked. Um, incredible, you know, we, we, we actually wrote a song with you guys and, and Reese, um, which was uh, really good. Yeah, it's a good tune. Great, awesome, awesome studio that you had there in Woolloomooloo. Or, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, the back of Alexandria. Yeah. 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 yeah no. um, look, man, we were just, as I still am now, and you guys probably are, we're just faking it until we make it right. Like, you know, 100%. we, D Dave's an incredible um, creative dude who can play everything. He's an incredible engineer. Um, and I think I'm, uh, you know, I had experience in tour management and music direction and, and those kind of other aspects. So together, we, we definitely offered enough to make it uh, worthy for Sony Music to come on board as like a major client. And then that obviously mm. started expanding out to indie bands. And so we did, we decided to build a studio and um, we just wanted to have some form of like a home base, I guess, for, you know, musicians and creatives. We felt like again i told you every every story and every question will come back to penrith but we both likened it to penrith and the central coast we were like when we grew up you know we'd go to the pcyc and everyone would be there and 10 bands would be there and there was this sense of community and when we got thrown into this like tv major label music world 
it was just really cold. It was really dark mm. and really like, it was always about money and it was always like, everyone was trying to cut each other at the knees to get this work. And Dave and I were like, well, if we just created this company, we could supply everything they need through our friends because we have a friend that does everything, you yeah. know? Mm. And then we would have this little community again where instead of it's instead of it's like you know being don't hire scott as a drummer because i'm better it's like yeah you should definitely hire scott as a drummer and then scott would be like well you should hire marcus as a drummer or david's a drummer and all of a sudden it's like this you know we lift each other up thing mm. um mm. and i truly believe in that theory like you know across every aspect of my life you know i if someone's covering me on a gig i i always prep them and give them insane amounts of notes and make sure that they have the ability to do their best because i think that that makes you look better as opposed to you know trying to set mm. someone up so yeah and with the Echo Creative, there obviously become an issue with developers. Is that was it developers that that got stuck yeah. in and wanted to knock it down? Is that is that what happened? They did knock it down. Yeah, they um, we just basically rocked up to work one day and we had a letter on the door saying we had three weeks to get out. Far um, out. Yeah, and because we were subleasing off another company, so the other company probably was a kitchen manufacturing, like a joinery joinery company. They probably had six months' notice and they got a huge buyout um, mm. but because we were on this strange sublease we got nothing and you know we'd spent eighty thousand dollars on this property to build a studio that we you know had a, only actually at that point i don't think we'd recouped entirely you know it was never a money-making scheme it was always a you know something to to benefit all of us more of a community thing mm. Um, mm. in fact it was it was funded significantly by people in our industry by peers um so it was a devastating blow um, yeah. So I fought it, you know, and the stubborn Italian guy that I am, I fought it pretty hard all the way to council and to state government. Um, and I don't want to say did nothing. Um, you know, we did end up getting a little bit of government assistance um, and we did raise a lot of awareness and we did get them to write anything that they would promise more art spaces. And, you know, so it helped, but ultimately Sydney, Sydney turned into what Sydney is now. You know, that that mm. whole kind of Waterloo area is insane. There's units, units everywhere. Yeah, yeah needs more units. Yeah. <laughs> so, but back on X Factor, how, like, obviously you were on touring with the winners. Did you realize how big X Factor was back then? You know, like everyone was watching it and, you know, Reese Maston, Samantha Jade, and, and all that. And Scott just said, he went on a tour with Reese Maston. Like, did you realize the, yeah. I guess, the swell of support behind the show itself? Um, I guess so, and I guess not at the same time. It was huge for us, you know, like we were all of a sudden working on TV. Like, I could never have comprehended that um, a few years prior. Um, and, you know, we were such small cogs in that that show's system. You know, there were there were huge producers and music directors it's owned by Fremantle Media and, you know, mm. people that knew way more than us. So we were kind of just there to do our part. Um, but I guess like once we started touring, we realized more and more how big it was. You know, that first Reese Maston tour was bought out by a promoter, by a, a touring company. Right. Um, so we didn't have a lot to do with it. We were kind of just the hired guns and we went out on it and we were like, holy shit, you know, like there is everywhere we go, we have, you know, without exaggerating, we have 2000 people waiting for us, like everywhere wow. we went for, for three years. And I'm just a hired gun, you know, like, so mm. it was so strange for us to be like, nothing to do with, with it you know but because we were by default part of reese's band it became this like total 
uh, beetle fever thing where, you know, <laughs> you couldn't go anywhere. It was crazy. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so a- w- w- while we're there, I want to take you to Albury-Wodonga. Was, was, <laughs> was that the same tour, Albury-Wodonga? I guess you probably... You, you met Scott there, down there, and and Cambridge, and take it from yeah. there if you can. No, I can't. Um, <laughs> I actually can't. I, I um I don't often drink on tour. I've always been a tour manager. You know, even when I played in bands and stuff, I've always been the uh, inverted commas responsible one. So I um I actually don't often. I don't have a lot of these battle stories like like these Cambridge fellas do. But um, I do remember that one night I, as we we discussed off air scott even remembers me saying i don't do this very often and yeah. like that's probably the last thing i remember <laughs> so scott, pretty, can you pick hilarious. it up can you pick it up for us it was um it was a, a regional tour we were on with reese Maston and, and marcus and that um we hit like wagga uh um griffith Wagga, Dabo, Aubrey. Griffith, Aubrey. yeah 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 and uh all of the uh, all of the hit towns. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But um, time goes it was... backwards. <laughs> it, mate, it does. It's kind of like yeah. Dapto. Dapto's just like two thousand and three SMP fucking skate belts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Aubrey Aubrey Wodonga was uh, the night Marcus uh, thoroughly enjoyed himself a little a little too much and um. I, what was I doing? I genuinely can't remember. I swear you were like being in a bar. Yeah, I, I, you took the words out of my mouth. You were like, it was like that outdoor area, and you were stood, you were just fucking stood smirking at a bar for like hours on end. I'm like, hey, bro. You're like, hey, man. I'm like, you're right. You're like, yeah. I'm like, do you want another drink? You're like, yeah. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, no, you were up. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't a dick or anything like that, but um, you were very merry. Just a fool. Very merry. You know, it's funny because, like, out of my, you know, entire nearly 20 year career in music, or what is a career, I guess. Uh, there isn't a lot of those nights in memory, and maybe there's like six or seven times where I'm like, "Oh, that was that was an insanely large night," and three of them were in Aubrey with dog. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! The country so will do that to you. Wow. I think I always just think like. I just sounds real obnoxious, but I always think when we go to places like Aubrey, I'm like, I'm fucking invincible. Like, what are they going to do in <laughs> Aubrey, you know? Like, everyone, everyone's so happy in Aubrey that you're out of towners and, like, you know, yeah. everyone just wants to party. It's like your story in Canberra, you know? Like, you go to yeah, Belconnen. Yeah. Man, what are they going to do? You're kings of Belconnen. Yeah. That's... You know what I mean? You go to those places and it's like, yeah, it just yeah. seems to naturally become one of the, the big nights. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. If Aubrey's anything like Belcon and on with you. It's just it's, <laughs> you just enter it and you forget what, what you're actually doing. Dude, totally, it's a bubble. <laughs> so oh, since right. X Factor, since X X Factor, you're obviously you know you're overseas and touring with some some massive bands. But um, the DMAs, you you've been doing a bit of work with the DMAs. Is that is that right? Yeah, I did them from you know like the first year of their existence all the way through until about two years ago. Um, so I went through, you know, with those guys, I went from everything from, uh, you know, we were touring Europe over and over doing 150 cap rooms. Like I mentioned to you guys, you, you, you go from like really good touring to really bad touring, um, condition wise, because you're building a band and, you know, like DMA is one of those bands where the first time I saw them in a rehearsal room in Sydney, I was like, holy shit, these dudes are incredible. Um, and I really do and did believe in DMAs as a band. Uh, you know, the proof is that they're one of the biggest bands in Europe right now. 
Yeah. Um, we progressively, you know, we went, I like, we, we were going to Europe like eight, nine times a year, you know, like insane amounts of flying and we would just tour and tour and tour. And there'd be, you know, 12 of us living in a bus. Um, and we would just go to the Aubrey Wodongas of the UK, like mm, the yeah. middle of nowhere where like, you know, instead of Bogans, you, you have a bunch of chavs because they just yeah. love like eat up DMAs. So we're going to places that were, you know, very heavy kind of gang um, areas where there are generally like two, you know, soccer firm type gangs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Places I didn't even know existed, I guess. And DMAs would go in there and just bring this entire town together and it would just be like, tour managing that band was insane. Like you guys think you have stories. Man, those dudes are wild. Yeah, oh man. yeah. I they're the last rock and rollers. I, I tell everybody they're the last rock and rollers. Wow. They um because like you're right, Mark, is that even the way their image, they look straight out of fucking like Birmingham or something. Like yeah, you know, like the hats with the collars popped and like coming yeah. from a fucking a West Ham game ready to stomp someone. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, well they're they're massive Evertonians. Oh right, right. Are they? Okay. Yeah. They are, wow. yeah. They're actually the, the Everton uses one of their songs as their club song now. Oh wow! And wow. they, yeah, they're like honorary uh, members. They've got like a locker at uh, the Everton Stadium and stuff. Tommy, wow. the singer, is born and bred Evertonian. And does that? And oh, I guess wow. your career you just said over twenty years. Is that does that is that the sort of thing that makes you happy that you were there from the start and and where they are yeah. now? Yeah, I think that like that's what you do it for you know like it sounds really um really lame but like it's cool doing arena tours and, and working for huge bands i get such a kick you know that initial email or phone call it's like hey i'm from so and so and i'd love to you know offer you a position and that that is a huge adrenaline rush but like looking back at my career it's like watching gang of youths you know go from 200 cap to headlining splinter in the grass like what what an insane yeah. moment or DMAs, you know, playing Glastonbury or yeah. Any of those kinds of things are just so cool. Yeah. And being there from that kind of beginning. It'd be, it'd just be mind blowing. Like I, I, I you, you're living, you're living a very good life, mate, to, to see artists from the start to like what you've just said, man, like headlining, like massive worldwide festivals that everyone knows about, you know, like, this, yeah. this, you're, you're and the funny thing is, you know, so many people, like, I always get the question. It's such a classic question of like, don't you, you know, you're a guitar player. Don't you wish you're in the band or wish you're on stage or the wish that, you know, your band was huge. And, and like, I really don't, I genuinely don't like, cause like if my band gets big, I get to go through that one time, that feeling of starting from nothing and getting huge, mm. you know, mm. I go through this, like you know, twice, three times every five years with bands, yeah. like often, you know, it's mm. sort of like this adrenaline, this incredible feeling. And I have, you know, with, with most bands, I have some form of input, whether it be from a business aspect or just making sure mm. they don't die or a creative <laughs> aspect, you know, like I, yeah. I have a stake in it. Um, we all do, all crew members and tour managers, and sound engineers, like we, you know, if you go listen mm. to your favorite band and they weren't your favorite band at the time and you know, I don't know if you guys have seen a band, you walked away and you're like, that was the best gig I've ever been to. I've been yeah. obsessed with these guys. Like yeah. the band's good, totally. But what you heard was the sound engineer. 
and you know yeah. the production tech who built the pa and the guitar tech who like maybe pulled those guitar tones like mason mm. from dma's you know like he used a very different type of guitar rig and then when i started taking for him i was like you should really try this and this and we together we developed this system that like arguably for me when you go listen to dma's play a huge room you hear this guitar like hit you in the face and like mm. i helped create that and that's such a fucking cool feeling like yeah you, it's unbelievable so can you take oh, us there then can you take us there and you mentioned guitar teching so give us the insight into exactly what that entails on tour being the guitar tech you've just obviously explained a bit of the dmas there but um can you give the viewers i guess a bit of an insight into what you've just said again uh, well, it depends. Again, you know, it's 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 a moving target. Um, if you work for a band like the DMAs or Gang of Beards, you might be taking care of three, four, five members of the band. Um, you know, you're responsible for everything from from setting up the gear to the show itself, all the tunings, all the restringings, all the guitar changes, and packing up the gear, putting it on a truck. Right? It might be kind of black and white. Then, as you get kind of further on, and you start working for a band, but you only take care of one artist so like say on Fleetwood Mac I only worked for Neil Finn I have you know from nine in the morning until one in the morning the next day all that time at work is just for Neil Finn so mm -hmm. that entails so much more um you know with Fleetwood Mac when we got the call up Neil Neil Finn joined Fleetwood Mac and so for him it was a new thing as well so I was flown to LA and we spent nearly six weeks just listening to old Fleetwood Mac records and then going, okay, cool, this guitar sounds like this. Because, you know, we're talking about a span of 40 years of mm. technology and advancement yeah. in sound and, and whatever. So, you know, and Neil's not a huge audio guy. Like, he doesn't want to sit down in front of a guitar amp and find a sound. So, you know, I sat in a, in a room with millions of dollars of vintage amps and guitars and picked up this guitar and this amp. And I was like, nope, that's not the sound. Let's put that back. Let's try this, you know, and, and designing, like redesigning sounds from kind of yesteryear, I guess, to fit wow. within a Fleetwood Mac show. Um, wow. Yeah. Incredible, so, man. you know, it can be really detailed. Um, I build, you know, we build all the rigs. Like it's, it's pretty complex of like, how do you get 19 guitars yeah. into one show into someone's hands quickly? You know, we have, what it's it's like you know when you watch formula one and they change tires like yep. you have that long to swap guitars and it's got to be flawless oh. so yeah we design those systems it's cool and no wonder you're working that many hours in a day then like it's it seems <laughs> pretty intense yeah it is intense yeah but it's just no different to anyone's job you know like it's it's intense because it's a lot of stuff but you know you kind of you dial it in and you start getting comfortable with it and the the beginning of the tour when you have a new system it's confusing convoluted and then every show gets that little bit better until something breaks you know mate that's uh incredible how's um how is neil finn uh, as a you know i'm 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 a big fan of neil finn i have been for a very long time um for him to uh, approach you to well whether it was him that approached you or not but uh to be able to work with him um that's it's just that's incredible mate yeah. so you know, how, yeah how is he as a, as a guy by far like you're one of the best human beings i've ever met in my life um him and his family have been so insanely generous <clears throat> with me um you know i wouldn't have met my wife if it wasn't for them giving me the opportunity to go to america i would never have worked for Fleetwood mac I'd, you know so many things I, wow. I can pinpoint down to to them believing in me as much as you know i believe in his career yeah um 
<clears throat> yeah, man, you know, incredible. I've lived with them. I lived with them for two years when I first came to America in a little pool house at the back of their house in LA. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Like awesome. just things like that, generosity, you know, because they yeah. know that moving to LA can be difficult and, and it can eat you up. And mm. so, you know, they included me as part of their family, which they really didn't have to do. And it, that probably did make LA kind of somewhat livable for me. You know, mm. and, I, and I'm still there. So maybe that is to do with their generosity and kindness. So, yeah, the whole fan family are by far the most talented, awesome people I've ever worked for. Yeah, how good. Right. Now, before we go, I've got a couple of questions just before we go. Give us, and it's probably going to be hard because you've done it for 20 years, but have you got a favourite tour that you've been on, whether it's been a stadium tour or just a pub gig? Does one stand out for you? Or two words, um, then give us a couple if you can't nut it down. I don't know, man. I um, I taught my very first like kind of bigger tour was with Sonic Numbers and Kiss Chasey when I was, I think I was sixteen, and that was a pretty eye-opening, mind-blowing tour. <clears throat> like, <laughs> you know, basically it'd been like Penrith and a little bit of Sydney up until that point. Um, all in favour played shows at random places, you know, around Australia. But then that was my first like start to finish tour. And it was insane, you know, as, as a kid to, to be working for someone like some numbers, which at the time were, they were massive, you know, yeah. um, that was pretty great. I have some pretty fun stories. I definitely wasn't the sober kid that I am now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> throughout yeah. that. But just things right. like, you know, hilarious stories of like, I remember once we were at a gig, actually, I think I was with Irrelevant. Yeah, it was it was irrelevant the hardcore band yeah. and we were at the front and i was 16. um i think i'd lost my license i lost my license like the week i got my license when i was a kid <laughs> uh <laughs> Penrith. um yeah. i was probably at the mcdonald's the mcdonald's and doing burnouts or something yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but i um yeah so i didn't have a license or anything and i um irrelevant had played this awesome show and you know we had this big 12 seater van with a trailer i'd never driven a trailer or anything and they were like we're all drunk but like we've got to go like you're driving you know and i remember we were parked down like, we were in melbourne somewhere and we we're parked down this laneway and like i had to reverse a trailer for the first time in my life like out with all these wasted dudes i think it was amni affliction and irrelevant in the van it's just like fuck me you know <laughs> so, no pressure it's just one of those memories that like sticks with me i just remember mick the drummer throwing the keys to me going you're up. You know, like, <laughs> I don't even have a license. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, it's all those early tours. But isn't that funny? You know, like Scott, you can you can attest to this. Like as musicians, we spend our whole life going. We want to tour the world. We want to play stadiums. You know, mm. and like having done, you know, I've done Wembley Stadium. I've done Madison Square Garden. Like I've done all these things. Like generally when i got asked that question i talk about something about touring with punk bands in australia you know yeah like i yeah. i there's there's a part of me that feels like uh required to say you know we headlined we played two nights at wembley stadium with mac and that was mind-blowing and super cool but genuinely all of your fun stories like scott you too like they've happened like yeah. you know yeah your story about canberra or, or our story about being Wodonga, yeah. like they are the stories you'll tell forever they're not they're not oh yeah you know we played mercedes-benz stadium in in berlin and germany work up on a bus we went inside a cold arena we got back on the bus like there's nothing happened yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and that probably makes sense after what we've just spoken to you about about how intense 
I guess Fleetwood Mac was and you were there 24 hours a day just about. So you, the enjoyable yeah. part is probably when you are asleep. <laughs> it is, yeah, totally. And, and yeah, you look back at like the inverted commas shit touring and you're like, man, that was so fucking fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So breaking like, what, down, what, like not having fuel, all that kind of stuff. And so yeah, it's like they're the that's best right. Moments, right. Yeah, all the things that are like least expected that just happen. Um, yeah, I can yeah. I can really reson- resonate with you there, man. I, and you're right. Like I, we have stories of like hitting ruse and shit, and they're the ones you come back to because it was it was fucking hilarious. And you're like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, we don't have insurance. Fuck, yeah, you know, like yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, all that yeah. ridiculous stuff. Like yeah, how we yeah. had to drive the We The Kings bus back. Yeah, that was... I, yeah, I hear. Yeah, we got stitched up there. I don't even remember the drive home. That's how bad that was. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty <laughs> horrible drive, right? That Canberra to Sydney drive. It's like, oh, I always say, oh, man. I've said my whole life, you could drive to Perth and yet Canberra to Sydney feels longer. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. short drive on it. I'm telling you, it's like a fucking yeah. portal. It's always because you're super hungover coming back from some shitty part of Canberra. Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. You know, every 100%. minute feels like seven days. Um, and yeah. somehow that highway, you know, it's just brutal. The fucking Hume Highway, man. It needs to be just blown up. Get rid up of it. Start again. Oh, <laughs> yeah, get rid of it. Build, yeah, no, you don't, don't mate. Build, yeah. build a tunnel. Oh, yeah. Now, man, <laughs> just before we go, have you got have you got plans to head back here when ScoMo or Gladys or whoever the hell is in charge at the time opens up? The borders have you got plans to come back and i guess any sort of tours for 2022 in australia yeah i mean you know we're kind of going through this now i'm obviously in america and we're touring again um i've had uh several tours that have kind of put me on hold and and include dates in australia but it's really hard to say you know we cancelled the crowded house shows that were supposed to be there. I was supposed to be there pretty much right now, actually. Okay. Doing, you know, we had 16 arena shows with crowded house that we had to cancel, which broke their heart and cost a ton of money, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so they haven't been rescheduled officially yet. And uh, there were ASAP Rocky shows that we couldn't do. Um, I know that there's a bunch of Lindsay Buckingham stuff, but, you know, who, who knows? It's like... Mm. we're trying to schedule a wedding right now and it's the same thing it's like <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> when, when are you guys going to be allowed to leave I couldn't believe that I was lucky enough because we toured New Zealand uh, with Crowded House and I quarantined the whole time while I was there and you know was paid to be there I managed to jump over to Australia during COVID and see Aiden and my family and, okay. and spend time you know I spent three or four months there and actually worked while America was in the worst of its lockdown worked in Australia with G Flip a uh, little yep. Triple J chick, and then left. And the week after, you guys went into lockdown and America opened up. So when I said, like, I've been quite lucky, I genuinely well, mean, skipped I it. somehow, like, dodged it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so except for the initial couple of months, I really haven't stopped touring. Which is nuts. Credit, well, credit to you, mate. You've, you know, yeah. you, you, it's not like... You're a lazy fucker, you know. You're 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 a hard working bloke, and um, yeah, you've 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 done well to you know, like you said, dodge all all that sort of stuff. Um, but man, I had to put you, a you, shirt on just to get on this podcast. <laughs> 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 it's, 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 I literally texted you. It's my first day off in like quite a while, and I'm like, fuck, is this filmed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, shit. I hope he's like, I hope he's all right. I'm like, no doubt, be nude. I'm like. Just throw just a shirt playing on, bro. Xbox in bed, in a <laughs> <laughs> legitimately. <laughs> and- no, um, 
before you go, I just how how is how's your son Aiden going, mate? I, I saw you. Um, he's great. Yeah, yeah. he's crushing. Fuck me, he's, he's grown, um, man. Jesus, he's massive. He's yeah, fucking so funny. tall. Kids, the thing about kids is they grow. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, you're um, right. Uh, you guys have kids. You know what yeah. it's like. I'm a little bit more progressed because I got in there at age 16. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Penrith. Uh, but um but yeah he's um he's crushing it he's really into guitar and actually funny like full circle story is that uh you know i never have pushed guitar on aiden at all Uh, you know he's been on tour with us his whole life and he's always come you know around music and stuff and so he's kind of finally got the bug to start playing in bands and stuff and his guitar teacher is actually trent the guitarist from one dollar short Oh, so wow. it's really full circle because oh, really? that's someone when I was 16 year old, like that's who I worked for. And that was like my peer and my, you know, a huge role model. And so for now, like for him to be at home teaching my son while I'm on tour. Is that's, so awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, really cool. you, you'd be fucking stoked with that, no doubt. Yeah. And Aiden, yeah. obviously Trent's an incredible dude and incredible guitar player. So Aiden's yeah, man. Bumped and, yeah. yeah, he's doing great. I think he's probably pretty over lockdown, but... um. Yeah, the be, new paper yeah. comes out in a week, so I think he's probably sorted. Uh, <laughs> <weeks. Yeah. laughs> mate, oh, I'll, I'll reiterate what Scott said, mate. You've 20 years in, obviously, the music industry, and you've you've worked from you know for nothing to to, to what you're doing now, mate. So, thank you for coming on, and obviously, man, massive yeah, congratulations on where you're at, and uh, hopefully, when you get back to Australia, we can catch up and get in studio and 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 do some a, a real proper chat live. Yeah, thanks, dude. It's been a pretty wild road. Um, who knows how the fuck I got here, but here I am. <laughs> thanks for, thanks uh, for being legends and keeping it real. Good on you, man. So, life. Young and this show can't obviously happen without our good sponsors. So, mate, choose a provider you can trust like a mate. Visit letsbemates.com.au. MG Active, who are doing Zoom classes for the gym. Look how fit I'm looking. This shirt fits <laughs> perfectly. It's so, bold. Uh, I'm staying in shape. Uh, Monster Clothing have just come on board. So the place to go for some great quality casual clothing based around some epic builds. So jump on their social media uh, and grab some clothes where you can. Ignify Legal, it's always good to have a lawyer on board. So Ian and the team at Ignify Legal, when lockdown gets young, we might need him at, uh, when lockdown's over. You never know. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, I'm a bit worried, eh? And the man behind this podcast, Jeff from Sensor Studios. Jeff, thank you for making us, I guess, look half decent again um, and, and making sure we uh, we sound better than we actually sound. So, Jeff, Sensor Studios, go and follow Sensor Studios on social media and we'll tag it all in. But, Marcus, thanks for jumping on, my man. Pleasure. Thanks, dude. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks, great, the riff. great to catch up, mate. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. 2747 for life. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> Ha, ha, ha.